Well, again, I want to say good morning to those of you who are watching online, who may be watching uh, on television around the world. Those of you in the room, thank you so much for coming. And since we're in the political season, let me just say, I don't have a name tag, but I am James Merritt, and the Lord approves my message. So, with that in mind, just about the time you think you've seen it all, and you think you've heard it all, you haven't. I mean, after all, children having disagreements and disputes with their parents goes all the way back to the first parents. It goes all the way back to the first children. So let's just be honest. How many of you ever had a disagreement with your parents? You better, it's better be unanimous. Don't sit there. Come on now. Yeah, it's not a big deal, right? Well, you think, yeah, that's not a big deal. But then you read this. Rather than being grateful for his opportunity in life, Raphael Samuel is suing his parents for bringing him into the world without his consent. This is not, I'm not making this up. The 27-year-old man from Mumbai claims his parents were selfish and had me for their joy and their pleasure, he explained. I want everyone in India and the world to realize one thing. They are born without their consent. I want them to understand they do not owe their parents anything. He also stated, if we're born without our consent, we should be maintained for our life. We should be paid by our parents to live. If only my Archie Bunker dad were alive today. <laughs> now, I'll be honest, I don't really think he has a real good case in court. And you might know this, both of his parents are attorneys, so I don't really think that's going to work out that well. But by the way, I do love his mother's response. I thought it was classic. I must admire my son's temerity out to, take, to want to take his parents to court, knowing both of us are lawyers. And if Raphael could come up with a rational explanation as to how we could have sought his consent to be born, I will accept my fault. Now, I only wish Raphael could hear the message that I'm going to deliver today. Because it actually goes to the very heart of his concern. If you are joining us for the first time, we've been in a series we've been calling Family Ties. Family's a big deal to me. Should be a big deal to you. Because it's a big deal to God. Because the first unit that God ever created was not the government, not the state, not the school, not even the church. The first unit God created was the family. So we've been dealing with various parts of what we call the traditional family. And in this series, we've not left anybody out. We've talked to husbands. We've talked to wives. We've talked to fathers. We've talked to children or to mothers. But today, we're going to do something really, really different. We're going to talk directly to, not just about, but to children. Especially if you still live at home with your parents, this, really message, this message is really for you. And the reason why I'm doing that is because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did in a New Testament book called Ephesians. And I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. It's in the New Testament. Go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and about six, seven books over, you'll hit the book of Ephesians. Now, let me tell you why this is so unusual. It's so unusual that Paul would address something directly to children because rarely are children ever directly addressed in any of the Bible. As a matter of fact, in the ancient world, you may or may not know this, children were very unimportant. Children were seen as really irrelevant. They were considered of low value as compared to the grown-ups. Let me tell you something really interesting. We sing this song, Jesus loves the little children. He loves the little children 
of the world. And yet you want to know something strange? Never in Scripture is Jesus ever recorded as having one conversation with a child. Not one. Loved them. They sat on his lap, loved to hear him, loved to touch him, loved to feel him, loved to see him. But he never had one conversation with a child. And yet Paul is not just talking about children to grown-ups. He's talking to children, which we either are or we were at one time. Now, what I hope happens today is this. I hope this message is an encouragement to a lot of parents today who are dealing with children and you are dealing with teenagers because to be very honest, in my opinion, you've got a teenager today and you've got a child today, you've got a much more difficult job than Teresa and I had when we had teenagers and we had children. That's never been easy, but I don't think it's ever been more difficult than it is today because we're living in a cyber world that's computerized, it's digitalized, and, and, and frankly, kids today, they, they've got so many ways and so many people they can communicate with that we don't even know about. And, and I'll tell you what's really sad. We're in a day and age now when parents are texting more with their children than they're talking to their children. Matter of fact, I read about a website. This, this is a real website. Two brothers created. It's called crazythingsparentstext.com. And what they've done is they compiled private text messages between parents and children. So I was reading through them, and this is my absolute favorite. It's between a dad and his son. This was a text exchange. Son, what time are you picking me up? Dad, who is this? Son, it's your son. Dad, how did you get this number? Son, I programmed your phone, remember? Dad, how do I delete people? That's the age we live in. That's the day that we live in. It's a strange day how parents communicate to children and children communicate to parents. And the way kids verbally interact with their parents today, I'll just be honest. I mean, you're out. You're about like I am. I see how kids, little kids, interact with their parents and teenagers, and it's just different. Kids say things to their parents today I would have never thought about saying to my mom and dad. I just never occurred to me. Matter of fact, there was a, a mom and her son, they got into a disagreement. He looked at his mom. You know, it's one of those personal things you'd say. He said, Mom, you're invading my personal space. The mom looked at him and said, Well, you came out of my personal space, so we're even. <laughs> now, today I'm talking directly to children. But I'm also talking indirectly to parents because I'm going to give you my message in one sentence. Here it is. God's children want to be godly children. Simply put, God's children want to be godly children. So I want to ask every one of you in this room, you're either under the age of 18 or you still live at home. Are you a child of God? Forget about your parents for a minute. Are you a child of God? Well, yeah, I'm a child of God. Well, if you're a child of God, then you want to be a godly child. And by the way, that's true of you no matter how old you are. But it doesn't just happen spontaneously. It takes godly parents to do their best to raise godly children. So two things have to happen in the home for this to happen. Number one, parents have got to give leadership. The kids have got to give fellowship. Works both ways. Parents lead, kids follow. So I'm speaking today to all the quote-unquote kids, whether you're a first grader or a high school senior, or maybe you've left home. 
Maybe you're off to college, but you still have parents. And if you are a child of God and you claim to be a child of God, you ought to be a godly child. You say, well, what does it mean to be a godly child? Well, Paul is going to tell us three things you have to do. One you have to do as long as you at least live under the roof of your parents. But there are two things you ought to do no matter how old you are if you're going to be a godly child. So mom and dad, I'm going to do you a big favor. I'm going to do the talking today. I'm going to be the bad guy. You be the good guy. I'll be the bad guy. So they can roll their eyes at me and leave you out of it. Okay? So number one, be right by obeying your parents. If you want to be a godly child as a child of God, be right by obeying your parents. Now, for all you children out there, what Paul says is pretty straightforward, right? He doesn't mince words. He says, children, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents, okay? Now, let's just all say that together. Ready? Children, obey your parents. I mean, that's just kind of really straightforward. So what he says to all of the children in this room and all the children who may be listening, and by the way, you may be here to say, man, I wish my kid was here. I wish my child was here. I wish my college student was here. Go on the website when this is over, pull it up and listen to it with them. But the number one part you're to play in your family is this, be an obedient child. That's your number one role you play in your family. Now, parents, that means the first lesson you begin to teach your children from the time they're born is the lesson of obedience. Because there's one thing we all know. I don't care how beautiful that little baby was that came out of your womb. I don't care if you thought you just bore the next Miss America. They don't come out obedient. They come out disobedient. You don't have to teach them to disobey. You have to teach them to obey. And let's, let's just be honest. I'll, I'm, I'm a good example. Obedience just doesn't come naturally to any of us. Disobedience does. I mean, if we were all really honest, there are just certain sometimes we just don't like to obey. I heard about a man that was coming home from work, and a police officer pulled him over. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. So he gave the man a warning, and he said, look, man, you know what the law is. Please make sure you wear your seatbelt. Well, the next day, the same police officer, police officer put over the same man at the same place, wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He says, okay, buddy, I gave you a warning. This time I'm going to give you a ticket. So he writes him out a ticket. He said, now... Have you learned anything? He said, you better believe it. I need to take a different way to work next time. <laughs> we don't like to obey. There's a part of us, we're just, we're, we're kind of born rebels. And I just want to say something to all of us, by the way. We never get too old to obey. We never get too old to be under somebody's authority. You're always going to be under somebody's authority. Now, there may, there may be a point you get too old where you're not under your parents' authority, but you'll never be so old that you're never under someone's authority. And that's why, mom and dad, you've got to teach your children obedience. And the way that you teach them changes at different stages of their lives. And that's where parents sometimes mess up. You can't train your kids at six the way you train them at 16. You can't teach that first grader the same way that you teach them when they're high school seniors because they're in different phases of life. There were, there were two women that uh, had kids and there were different phases of life, and they were discussing children. They were watching their children play in, in, on the playground. One of the mothers said, you know, I got to think the other day. She said, it is so ironic about, about being a parent. She said, what do you mean? She said, well, we spend the first 12 months teaching our kids to walk and talk, and we spend the next 12 years teaching them to sit down and shut up. <laughs> 
And, and that's really, if you think about it, that's kind of the way it is. There, there are different phases in their life. And, and the point is, you really, really, really need to teach your kids to obey until they leave your house. Now, let me just say to some of you kids here today, you may be a maverick. You may be a rebel. We had three sons, and he'll know who I'm talking about, but one of our sons, he was the maverick in the family. He was the rebel in the family. He was, I'm going to do it my way or bust son in the family. And I'm going to be very honest. You may think it's, you're, you're kind of being cool to show your parents, you know, I'll show them who's boss. I'll show them they can't, even though, I'm, even though they put food on my table and clothes on my back and pay my rent, I'm going to show them they're not going to boss me around. I just want to remind you of one thing. Even the Son of God was obedient to his parents. Now think about that. Even the Son of God was obedient to his earthly mom and dad. Because remember, the Son of God was once a Son of God child. And the Son of God was also a Son of God teenager. But let me tell you what we read about Jesus. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I mean, you talk about having a trump card in your pocket. Have you ever thought about this? You know, Jesus could have said to Mary or Joseph, hey, let's get something straight. I created you. He didn't do that. Um, Mom, you've seen me walk on water in the bathtub. I don't think you ought to be telling me what to do. <laughs> he never did that. He respected. He obeyed his parents. He knew who he was. He knew who they were. And Paul gives one simple reason. Well, I just, let me, tell me, just give me one reason why I ought to be obedient to my parents. Paul says, okay, I'll tell you why. Because this is right. End of discussion. No more talk. This is right. It's just the right thing to do. Now, that takes me back to parents. So what does that mean? It means it is your job, mom and dad, to teach your children the difference between right and wrong and to teach your children to do right and to act right. It is right for children to obey their parents, and parents have the right to teach their children what is right. Now, having said that, let me just be very straight up front with mom and dad today. That is your responsibility. It is not primarily the responsibility of our church to teach your kids right and wrong. Now, we want to do that. We want to join you. That's not our primary responsibility. It is not even the primary responsibility of the school they go to, even if it is a Christian school. It is the primary responsibility of the mom and dad to teach their kids right from wrong. And there are three basic lessons we ought to teach our kids from the time they come out of the womb. And I'm going to share them with you. Not hard. Number one, there's a difference between right and wrong. God tells us which is which. And by the way, we're living in a society today, you better be teaching your kids that. There's a difference between right and wrong. And by the way, I don't care what the president, the Congress, or the Supreme Court says is right and wrong. What God says is right, and what God says is wrong is what is right and what is wrong. And that never changes. So when your kids are trying to figure out and they're trying to, well, I don't know whether this is right or not. Well, let's see what God says. I had a conversation this morning, this morning, with a former student of mine who was in one of my, in my student ministry when I was a student pastor. He wouldn't mind me telling you this. He just got divorced from his wife, 46, 40, 40 years they've been married. So I, I called him on the way into church this morning. I said, man, what's going on? He said, well, it probably won't surprise you. He said, but, you know, I've, I've come out as gay. I've, I've come out as gay. He's got two boys, so I've come out as gay. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, want to get a divorce. 
I'll just call him John Ashley. John, let me tell you something. He said, I was so afraid of talking to you because I've had so much respect for you. I said, look, I love you unconditionally. And we're, and I, I'm going to be here for you. You're one of my boys. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to always stand with you. But I told him this. I'm gonna, I said, I want you to hear me because I'm going to be talking about this this fall. If you try to find your identity in your sexuality, you're going to be one miserable human being. Listen to me carefully. If you are a child of God, your identity is in Christ. It is not in your sexuality. It is not in where you work. It is not in who you're married to. It's not what you do for a living. It's not what you majored in college. Your identity is in Christ. Your life is Christ. And so you teach your kids the just between right and wrong, and God tells us which is which. Number two, we're to do right and not wrong. It's not hard. But number three, if we do wrong and not right, we will suffer the consequences. We're living in a day more and more where we, you know, everybody gets the ribbon. Everybody gets the trophy. Sorry, that's not the way life works. And there are consequences to decisions. You make a wrong decision, you ought to expect wrong consequences. That is the job of the parents. Now, let me just jump in and say one thing because I thought about this. I think ahead. I said, okay, I'm going to have some kids that are going to hear this. going to say, oh, wait a minute. What if my parents are not Christians? Great question. Here's my answer. As long as your parents do not ask you to do anything that is unbiblical or ungodly or immoral, it's even more important that you obey your parents. As a matter of fact, not only is it the right thing to do, probably the best way you can be a witness to that lost mom and dad is to show them this is what a Christian child does. This is the way a Christian son acts. This is the way a Christian daughter responds. Because remember this, when you obey your parents, kids, listen to me, you're not just obeying your mom and dad. You're obeying the God that gave you that commandment to begin with. So be right by obeying your parents. Now let's put that aside because we're not always kids, right? We finally do move out. Some move out when they're 10, 20. Some move out when they're 60 or 70, but eventually we move out. So it's okay, I move out. All right, well, you're still a child. They're still your parent in a way. So here's step, th step two. Be respectful by honoring your parents. You're right in obeying your parents, but you be respectful in honoring your parents. Now, the result of obeying your parents is you honor your parents. So Paul goes all the way back to the Old Testament. One of the commandments, he says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Now, let me just get something out of the way. There is a difference between obeying your parents and honoring your parents. So make it plain. Obedience is an action you do on the outside. You do what you're told. That's obedience. Honor is an attitude that you have on the inside. So to honor means to respect. So let me give you an example. Your mom or your dad ask you to clean your room or take your you know, dishes to the dishwasher or you know, whatever your chore might be. And you do it. But you do it grudgingly. You do it complaining. You do it moaning and back talking. Why do I always have to do it? Why don't you ever ask my brother to do it? You do it, you know, with a bad attitude. Well, you're obeying them, but you're not honoring them. Because the truth of the matter is, you cannot honor your parents without obeying them, but you can't obey them without honoring them. Now, it is one thing to disobey your parents. We put that aside. It is a different thing to disrespect your parents. So here's what I want to say to all of us. How many of you still have one or two parents that are living? Okay. You never outgrow the responsibility to respect your parents. 
You don't have to obey them. I get that. They don't, can't tell you what to do. You shouldn't even try. But you never outgrow the requirement to honor your parents. We're to hold our parents in high esteem. Treat them with respect, no matter how old they are or how old we are. So that means, no, you don't have any right to speak to them any way you want to just because you are an adult. Yes, you're going to agree with them sometimes. You're going to disagree with them as sometimes. But disagreement should never turn into dishonoring them. That verb to honor, by the way, is in the present tense. That refers in the Greek language to an action that never stops. So what was Paul was saying was, Honor your parents till the day they're dead or to the day that you're dead. You never, ever are out from under the requirement to honor your parents. I've got three sons. They've all reached the stage in their life. They are not required to obey me anymore. I don't even try to tell them what to do anymore. If they ask my advice, I give it. If I do, they don't, I, I don't give it. And if they give it and they don't take it, then they can go do something stupid. That's up to them. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they're no longer required or obligated to obey me or their mother. But I've let them know before, you still are going to honor me. And you're still going to honor your mother. Obedience stops. Honor never does. When I became a dad, I still respected my dad. When she became a mother, she still respected her mother. Never called them by their first name. And by the way, don't ever get around this guy and call your dad your old man or your mother your old lady. It will not go well with you. And you don't get too old to say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. That may be a southern thing, but it's in the Bible somewhere. I'll find it. <laughs> See, there are two stages in honoring your parents, two stages. In stage one, you honor them by obeying them. Okay, you're at home, you, you, whatever they tell you to do, you do it, and you do it with the right spirit and a submissive heart. In stage two, listen carefully. Here's the way you honor your parents in stage two. Not by doing what they tell you to do, but doing what they need you to do. Because this is the way it works, and you kids listen to me. When you're a child, they care for you. And they should. But one day, they'll be old. And they won't be very healthy. And they'll be lonely. And they will need you to care for them. And you'll get a chance. You'll get a chance to invest in them respect and love and care for all the things they have done for you. That's the way that it works. So you take care of them, you call on them, you check on them if you can, you visit with them, you do for them what they can no longer do for themselves or that need you to do without them having to beg you to do it, talk you into it. It grieves me when parents almost have to bribe their kids to do something for them. I, I read a story, that it, it was two days before Thanksgiving. And there was this old man in California and he called his son, he said, David, his son, David lived in New York. So he calls his son up two days before Thanksgiving and he said, son, I hate to tell you this over the phone, but he said, um, I I'm leaving your mother. I, I can't stand it anymore. I've had enough. 43 years of her nagging and groaning. I, I just, uh, I'm out. Well, the dad, he was shocked. He began peppering his dad with questions. You know, what can we do to take care of things? And finally, the dad just cut him off. He said, listen, son, we don't need to talk about this anymore. My mind's made up. If you don't mind, just call your sister in Chicago. Tell her what's happening. But I do not want to talk about it anymore. Do you understand? I'm done. So the brother calls the sister and he says, you're not going to believe this. And man, things are just blowing up at the house. I don't know what to do. And so about five minutes later, the phone rings. The dad answers the phone. It's the daughter. 
She says, Dad, listen to me. Don't you do anything until we get there. Nothing. David and I have talked. We're both going to be there tomorrow night, and we're going to be bringing the kids. The dad said, well, okay. See you tomorrow. Hung up. Turned to his wife. Said, okay. Coming for Thanksgiving. What do you want me to do for Christmas? That was good. I like that. But you should be respectful. I've told you this before. My dad died in 1998. My mother died in 2015. Beginning the day my dad died to the day my mom was able to talk. I didn't matter where I was in the world every single morning. Teresa, is this true or not? Every single morning at 8.30, I called my mother every single morning. Your baby boy loves his mama. And your mama loves her sweet baby boy. Every morning, even to this day at 8.30, I'll think about calling my mom. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just simply telling you, you must be respectful in honoring your parents and you be respectful until you draw your last breath or they draw theirs. Be right in obeying your parents. Be respectful in honoring your parents. And then here's the last thing. Be reverent by loving your parents. Be reverent by loving your parents. Now, there are three words we need to go back and pick up in verse 1 because we left them out. I left them out on purpose. Paul says, children, obey your parents. Read this out loud. Say it real loud. In the Lord. Do it in the Lord. Now, what do those mean, words mean? Matter of fact, in another passage over in Colossians, Paul said it this way. He said, children, obey, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Simply put. So, when I obey my parents, I'm obeying you right? And when I'm pleasing my parents, I'm pleasing you, right? And when I'm honoring my parents, I'm honoring you, right? So now we've got to bring the parents back into play because your children will not do what they're supposed to do in the Lord if you don't take the lead in teaching them to know the Lord. So it goes all the way back to parents, your number one job, I've said it over and over, your number one job is to make sure your children know the Lord. You cannot please a God that you do not know. But once you come to know that God, you need to be taught to love that God in such a way you always please that God. So one of the greatest questions you'll ever teach your children to ask before they start to do anything is this. If you will teach your kids and your teenagers to ask one question before they go off to that spring senior trip, for they go off to that college and think they're ready to sow their wild oats, if you'll teach your kids to ask just one simple question, would this please the Lord? There are kids that got killed last night driving drunk because they didn't ask that question. There are girls that lost their virginity last night because they didn't ask that question. And there are people today that are living in guilt for the way they disobeyed and dishonored their parents because they didn't ask that question. Would this please the Lord? Will this bring smile? Will this bring smile? A smile to the face of the Lord? Would this bring joy to the heart 
of the Lord. I've told you before, I spent the first years of my life as a student pastor. I was a student pastor in three different churches, including my home church. And to this day, that's why I'm real big on Next Gen. I've never lost my love for teenagers. Never lost my love for next-gen ministry. That's why I'm so interested in parents and children, the way they respond and react to each other. And let me just tell you, after all these years, I've basically observed that there are two kinds of parents. There, there really are. I'm not, I'm not oversimplifying this. And they're pretty easy to spot. There are parents, and I hate to say this, even in the church, this is the majority of parents. There are parents who raise their children by looking at the culture. They just watch what other parents do. They, 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 they kind of watch what, what does Hollywood, what do the entertainers, what do the children's peers you know, do, and they let that dictate how they raise their children. They, they just look to the culture. Well, they're doing it, must be okay. They're saying it must be okay. They believe it must be okay. They look to the culture, and unfortunately, that's the way most parents raise their children. But then there are parents, they don't raise their kids by looking at the culture. They raise their children by listening to the scripture. They say, you know what? I believe the one that I call Heavenly Father probably knows more about rearing children in his little finger than I know in my whole body. Maybe I ought to let him show me. Maybe I ought to let him tell me how to raise my children. So they don't take their clues from modern family. They take their clues from ancient scripture. They teach their kids to take a stand for what is right, to speak up for what is right, to live their life by God's word, not the opinion of what may be culturally in vogue or politically correct. So as I kind of wrap this up, I just want to say one final, hopefully encouraging word to parents. And I want to acknowledge something. Because I know some of you sitting up there and you're saying, yeah, it's easy to sit there and pontificate and point and, you know, you know, exhort and, you know, say those things. It's not really. Because I was a parent at one time, like you are. We had kids and teenagers at one time, just like you do. And I've told you before, unashamedly, I wish I had my parenting days to do over again. I'd do some things differently. And just like you, sometimes I look and I wonder, where did I go wrong? Where did I fail? I've got three great kids, but I, you know, I still I always expect more from my kids. I always want better for my kids. And I fully acknowledge, I'm telling you, it is more difficult being a parent today and raising children than ever before. Someone as well said, children are a great comfort in your old age, and they can help you get there a lot faster. I want to share with this with you, and I hope this will help some of you. In case you felt like, gosh, you just kind of been beating on me, let me just stop and put everything in context. Even the most good and godly parents sometimes have children that just don't turn out right. They just take the wrong path. Sometimes parents that are neither godly or good wind up with children that are both. You've seen it. I've seen it. I know people, you know people. Here's a mom and a dad. They did everything they needed to do. They crossed the dot, they crossed the, the T's, they dotted the I's. They took their kids to church. They tried to live right. They tried to live a godly life. And some way, somehow, that spirit of rebellion got into the kids and they took off in this direction. 
And then you've seen other parents never darkened the door of the church, never gave a flip about God, but somehow God intervened in the life of their children, and they turned out to be great godly children, and you go, what in the world happened? What did I do wrong? Let me just give you a little word of encouragement. In the 17th century, a man named Thomas Fuller studied the genealogy of Jesus. Now listen, this is, a, this is the family tree of Jesus. And he found out four remarkable things. I want you to watch this. This is so incredible. Rehoboam, a bad father, produced Abiah, a bad son. You'd expect that. Abiah, a bad father, produced Asa, a good son. Didn't expect that. Asa, a good father, produced Jehoshaphat, a good son. You'd expect that. Jehoshaphat, a good father, produced Joram, a bad son. It happens. So what's the point? The point is, and I want you to hear this carefully, you mom and dad, just like I did, I did my best as a dad, what I knew, what I thought was the best. But I didn't always get it right. I spanked my kids in anger at times. Shouldn't have done it. It was too strict on my kids at times. Shouldn't have done it. My wife was a far better mother than I was as a dad. And I've had to work through a lot of things with the Lord in my own life. Finally, in reading the scriptures and walking with the Lord, spending time with Him, asking for forgiveness, being repentant, I finally realized, ultimately, at the end of the day, the boy's got to sit down and the man's got to stand up and take responsibility for his own actions. Next week, week after next, I'm going to be talking to you about how to get off the guilt trip. I hope you don't miss it. Just put that in your mind. A week from this, two weeks from today. Did it just before I left. And it wasn't as a result of this. It's just a message I've been thinking about for a long time. And I'm saying all that to say this. You do your best that you know how. Knowing before you even start out, knowing before that child even gets to be one years old, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to blow it. You're going to do things you wish you hadn't done. You're not going to do things you should have done. It's just life because no, the only perfect parent is God. And look how his first two kids turned out. So what do you think you're going to do? But what I'm saying to you at the end of the day, there comes a point where you have to say, you know what? I did my best. I trusted the Lord. I've tried to live the best way I know how. They are not, nobody's going to put me on a guilt trip for where they are now. They've got to stand on their own two feet. I'm not accountable for them anymore. They are accountable for them. That is the point that I'm trying to make. And I want you to please hear that. I've beg you to hear that. Don't feel like you're a failure. Don't feel guilty. If you can honestly look in the mirror and say, look, I did my best to be a good godly parent. Kids didn't turn out the way I wanted them to turn out. And let me just say this. I'm going to say it one more time. I don't care if you had bad parents. I don't care. If you are a child of God, you want to be a godly person. End of story. 
You're a child of God. I don't care whether your mom was a bad mom or your dad was a bad dad. You don't have to be a bad man and you don't have to be a bad woman. You've got a choice. You can break that chain. If there's a generational chain, you can, pray, you can break it. No parents. You can't just push a button and guarantee that your children will be just like the children talked about in this passage. All I am saying is it is our job to do our very best that we can and then leave it to the Lord. But we've got to do that. There was a man who once argued with the English poet Samuel College about the importance of parents instructing their children in spiritual matters. Well, this man wasn't really that religious, and he didn't, wasn't really a churchgoer. And he said, well, I'll just tell you, Samuel, I just think you're wrong. He said, I, I'll just tell you, he said, I, I just don't think parents ought to indoctrinate their children into their religion. I just think they ought to give the children the freedom to make their own choices, just let them do what they want to do. Well, College didn't say a word. Instead, he invited the man to his backyard to go look at his garden. So when the man walked outside, Collar said, how do you like my garden? And the man said, it's not a garden. It's just a patch of overgrown weeds. And Coleridge said, well, it used to be a garden, but I decided to give it the freedom just to be whatever it choose <laughs> without any interference from me. No mom and dad. It is your job to be godly parents. But yes, kids and teenagers, it is your job to be godly children. And God's children want to be godly children. And God's children ought to be good and godly children. And the choice is up to you. Choose wisely. Choose carefully. Obey your parents in the Lord. For this is the right and the pleasing thing to do. Would you pray with me right now? With his bowed, with eyes closed, with those of you who are watching right now, you're a parent, you're a mom, you're a dad, or you're a teenager, or you're a child, let me just say this to you. <clears throat> you can't be a godly father, you can't be a godly father if you don't know God. You won't be a godly son or a godly daughter if you don't know God. And you will never know God the way you ought to know God until you come through Jesus Christ. You cannot. You cannot know the Father until you come to know the Son. Jesus Christ died, by the way, not just to save you from your sins, though he did. Jesus died so you could be that godly father. You could be that godly mother. You could be that godly son. You could be that godly daughter. That's why Jesus died. And I just wonder how many have heard this message this morning, both listening to me right now and in this building. And deep down, you know your problem. You know my problem? It's not my mom. It's not my dad. It's not my son. It's not my daughter. It's me. I'm not godly because I don't know God. I've never truly trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. I have a simple question. How many of you would like to do that today? How many of you would like to make that decision today to say, yes, today, beginning today, I want to be a child of God, so I'll be a godly child. I want to be a child of God, so I'll be that godly mom, that godly dad. Well, why don't you just tell God that right now? Why don't you just say something like this? Why don't you say, oh, God, I thought it was enough to be a good parent, a good mom, a good dad, a good son, a good daughter. That's not enough. I want to be a godly dad and a godly mom and a godly son and a godly daughter. And I can't do that apart from Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, today... I'm going to make the greatest decision of my life. Today, I ask you to come into my life. I surrender everything that I am 
that I am to everything that you are. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. And Lord, today, I ask you to save me, change me, forgive me, give me eternal life. I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin. And I give all of my heart to you. Question, did you say or pray something like that to the Lord, and did you mean it? Yes, I did. All right? If you're watching online right now, I want you to do something. I want you to either on your computer, your cell phone, or whatever, I want you to go to this website, crosspointchurch.com slash next. They'll, when you get there, there will be prompts that will tell you what you need to do. We just want to register your decision, and we want to help you get started in your walk with God. By the way, if you are a prodigal parent and you've got a prodigal child, send a text to there and just say, hey, would you pray for my child? And I promise you we will do just that. But you're in this room today, and you'd say, I did that. You're a child. You're a teenager. You're a kid. You're a mom. You're a dad. You're a grandparent. I just prayed. I gave my life to Christ. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When this service is over, I want you to do it. If you mean it, you don't mind. In fact, you'll want to do it. Go out to the table, to the lobby. There'll be a table there called Connection Point. I want you to go to that table. And here's all you need to do. You just need to say, today I gave my life to Jesus. Today I trusted Christ. That's it. That's all you need to do. Those people out there will know exactly what you need to do. They'll know precisely what it is. And they'll help you take that next step with God. You may say, well, I, I have been saved. Well, were you have you been biblically baptized like that precious young lady and like that dear man a while ago? Well, no, I, I've not done that. Well, why not? That is the command of the Bible. That's what Jesus did. He was baptized, and he commands us to be baptized. So some of you may, may need to go out to that table today and say, hey, you know, I've been saved, but I've never been biblically baptized. I need to do that. I want to profess my faith in Christ. And it may be there's some of you here and you say, you know what I need to do? I need to join this church. I've been coming for a while, but I need to get involved. I need to get involved in a small group. I need to get involved in serving the Lord in some place, some way, somewhere. I ask you to do that. And then who's your one? Who's that one mom, that one dad, that one son, that one daughter? You go, man, I wish they'd heard this message. I wish they'd been, I wish they'd heard it. Okay, whoever God laid on your heart, why don't you go to that person this week and say, man, I heard this message. I'll be glad to listen to it with you. You need to hear this word from God. Or say, you know what? In a couple of weeks, my pastor's going to be talking about getting off the guilt trip. I want you to come be a part of that service with me. Reach out to somebody this week. Lord, I just want to thank you that in you we have a perfect father. And in your word, we have all that we need to know to be the godly moms, dads, husbands, wives, children that we need to be and we ought to be. So, Lord, don't let your word return void. Let it accomplish what you please. Let it prosper in the thing for which you sent it. And thank you for the time of fellowship we'll enjoy after the service today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.